Well, thank you, Ethan, for that. And uh, so today, we're just to let you know the end game of the service, kind of what we're celebrating today and, and where the trajectory of uh, where, where we're headed, the sermon and everything, the response to the word today is going to be something called a Wesleyan Covenant Renewal Service. And it's something that we've done in part before, probably in years past, but I've never done it this elaborately and in this way. And this is a service that goes old school. Back to the early Methodists, John Wesley formulated the early version of this service in 1744. And it was just a way for the people called Methodists could get together every year and just remember their vows before God. A way to kind of renew their covenant and say, okay, we know this is hard. We know this is the way that God has called us. And we're going to put our lives back on the altar and ask God, you know, to renew his covenant with us. We're going to renew our part of the deal and we're going to find freedom and healing and purpose again by going this way. So that's why you have the two inserts in your bulletin. Uh, the first one is the liturgy kind of approaching it. The second one is a smaller prayer card. It's kind of like an index card. And make sure that everyone has a copy of this. If you don't, you can raise your hand and, and the ushers will get you one in a little bit. But um, anyways, we want everybody to have one of these as we pray through this uh, here in a little while. But just let you know that's where we're headed. It'll be a fun thing to celebrate together uh, as, a, as, as the people called Methodists and kind of going back to our roots and a, a beautiful prayer that we can pray together, consecrating our lives uh, to God. Okay. <clears throat> Now, as I begin the sermon today, I'm, I'm, I'm stalling just a little bit because I have to sing to you. Don't, don't laugh at me, and I, I probably should ask for a, a pitch pipe or something. But uh, tell you what, let me go ahead and read the scripture, and then I'll do it. See, I'm, I'm stalling. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, it's Matthew 4. Verses 12 through 22. Now when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what, the, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right, here we go. If you know it, sing along with me, all right? Oh, give me land, lots of land, neath the starry skies above. Don't 
fence me in. Oh, that was that was all right. We all were not sure. I'm sure I didn't set you up well, but uh, don't fence me in. All right, a song by Cole Porter. That was written by Cole Porter, but it was based on a poem written by Robert Fletcher. And uh, Dale Evans recorded it. Roy Rogers recorded it. Bing Crosby recorded it. Frank Sinatra recorded it. And actually, recently, the Killers recorded it. We have any Killers fans out there? So uh, it's been out there. I love this song. Don't Fence Me In is one of my favorite songs in the whole world. And it really captures, especially in my early days, what that, this is what I wanted life to be. This was my dream vision for living. Uh, if you don't know the song, it goes like this. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze and listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please, don't fence me in. And it goes on later, my favorite part. Um, I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in. This song, if you like this song, I mean, it's kind of like a Western United States anthem. It's like a, an anthem of the Great West where we wanted wide open spaces, right? Don't put any barbed wire around me. Let me roam wild. Let me go free. Let me just turn me loose and let me go wherever I end up. I'm not worried about it. I want to be by myself. I want companions. I want companions to be horses and cottonwood trees and wind. And I don't like hobbles. I don't even want my horse to be fenced in. Everybody turn them loose. It's like the great American West anthem. I love this song. It expresses everything that I wanted out of life. And really, this is a good desire, right? All of us desire to be free and to roam and to have wide open spaces, to have land that we can call our own and just be out in the open spaces. Um, Maybe it's a little different if you grew up where you grew up, you know, whether you picture something that's more like a panhandle scene or you picture something that's more like a sweetwater scene or if you're from a different part of the world, you picture your own version of wide open spaces. This is a good desire. It's a proper desire. And if you'll remember, one of the ways that God promised his presence and his goodness to his people, our ancestors in the faith, God's people, he promised them land. Right There was land that he gave to his people, the promised land. And you can look at your map in the back of your Bible, or you can remember the map from Sunday school, and there's these perfectly designed boundaries over by the Sea of Galilee that align the places that God's people would live. All 12 tribes, all 12 families of God's people, they would live there, and there was enough land, and there was enough, it was a fertile country, and they could grow their crops, and they could raise their families, and they could be there without warring with one another and without having to fight all the time. And it was a great vision for the humanity that God created and that he intended as he began to rescue them and call them home. It's a good thing. Don't fence me in. However, when don't fence me in becomes our only mantra, when it becomes our main method, when it becomes the lens through which we see the world, our primary allegiance quickly becomes a one-party allegiance. It's a covenant and a promise that I make with me, myself, and I. And I can never, I don't have to worry about breaking that promise because I set all the rules, I set the tone, I set the terms for the deal, and so I'm always in the right. 
I always do everything perfectly and no one can ever hold me accountable or offer me a different vision for living than I have already determined is best because I obviously know best. Just give me land, give me my open space, let me do what I want, and I'll be good to go, right? I know none of you have ever sung that song before in your heart of hearts, but uh, and when we do that, when I do that, I become resistant to a lot of things, and especially I become resistant to God. This is a very old story. It's an ancient story. It's not a new story. It's a story that we know in our bones. We know in the depths of who we are. So let's talk about the two tribes of Israel, the two groups of our ancestors that are mentioned in Matthew's gospel in the reading today, Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, if you're like me, when you read this part in Matthew's gospel, you're reading along and it's Isaiah's prophecy and land of Zebulun, Naphtali, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the, let's get to the stuff about fishing. Let's get to the stuff about brothers. Like we understand that, but what about all this stuff about these old prophecies and everything? Zebulun and Naphtali were located on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've never been to this part of the world. Some of you may have been, and you can visualize where that is. It's uh, right in that northwest corner up there. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute. But it was very good land. You can read in Genesis where Jacob is blessing his 12 sons, and they're, they're blessed with this land. And he mentions Zebulun, he mentions Naphtali, and, and it just has these beautiful images of what the land will bring forth, who they are, the gift that it was. It was good, good land. Wide open land. Don't fence me in. But like us, God's people, our ancestors in the faith, the ones who inherited the promised land, they gradually drifted away from God and the covenant that God made with them. They embraced the mantra wholeheartedly, don't fence me in. Don't tell me what to do. And don't tell me how to live my life. They went their own way, which led to destruction. That destruction really came to a head, and it came to its fullness in the 8th century BCE. Uh, and the Assyrian armies came in to the land, the beloved land that was given to God's people, and they ripped Zebulun, and they ripped Naphtali out of their homes. They pulled them away to exile. They relocated them to a country that was unfamiliar. They were in a foreign land. They pulled them away from their farms and all their, their things that were familiar where they had lived and raised their families, and they relocated them. The only people that they left were people who could be slaves, that they could tell what to do. And that land was forsaken. And our ancestors, the people of God, were yanked into exile. It's the, one of the saddest parts of our story as the people of God when they were carried off into exile. And when the Assyrian Empire pulled the tribes of Israel, the northern tribes, out of their place of living, guess who the first ones to go were? Zebulun and Naphtali. They were the first ones into exile. So we read, Jesus coming on the scene, and we know as readers, the Jewish people would have known as they heard this story, when Jesus left Nazareth, he relocated and began to live in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. 
the first ones into exile, the first place that Jesus set foot when he began his ministry. So Jesus is coming out of the wilderness after being tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, just like John the Baptist, who we talked about last week, had come from, it was in the wilderness, calling people to repentance, calling people. And remember last week we talked about John fully directed all attention to Jesus. He said, hey, that one over there, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm redirecting all traffic to him. This is the one that I told you about. He's greater than me. I'm not worthy to untie uh, his, his, the leather on his sandals. He's, I baptize with water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the real deal. I knew I'd recognize him when I saw him, and that's him, and y'all follow him. So John's redirected all the traffic. John's been in the wilderness, and now Jesus emerges from the wilderness, and the first place he goes, Capernaum. The first place is into exile. Jesus' first place that he puts his feet on the ground. Is this not the way that the kingdom of heaven works? Jesus is saying to these people who have been displaced and homeless so long, you've been in darkness long enough. You've sat there with those weights on your shoulders and those chains around your feet too long. And I'm not having it anymore. There's a new sheriff in town, right? I've come to town and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm announcing it to you first. It's time to come home. So Jesus talks about this light that is dawned on a people who sat in great darkness. And this is centuries of people sitting in great darkness. And Jesus is breaking the whole thing open with the light from heaven. And he refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. God's presence, God's rescue plan is among you in the person of Jesus. And here he is. He says, here I am. Now Jesus begins to preach. He begins to announce the kingdom of heaven, that it's at hand. Uh, he begins to renew the covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, sounds familiar. And it should, because it's the exact same message that John the Baptist preached. Word for word, in Matthew's telling of the story. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes along, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what, what does that mean, repent, and for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Uh, I, I thought back to um, a sermon that I heard from a guy named Raniero Cantalamesa. Uh, he's Italian, so I can't say his name very well. Uh, but uh, Amberly and I heard him preach in, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, or near Lexington. He was, uh, he was at the time the preacher to the papal household. So his audience for preaching on a regular basis was the pope. And the and the Vatican family, so that's a pretty tough audience, you know. But he was a guy; he was older, and in years he spoke seven languages, and so he was fascinating. He spoke to us in English, even though that wasn't his native language. Uh, and so he preached a beautiful sermon on the tech on this text on repentance, and he said it in just such a way that that I'll never forget. He said, you know, John the Baptist called to repentance. They're the same call, really, but John the Baptist is more what we think when we think of repentance, right? You hear people talk about what does it mean to repent? It means you're walking in one direction. And to repent means you stop about face and you turn around and you go the other way. And that's the kind of repentance that John was talking about, right? If you've got two coats, stop. Give one away. If you've been stealing from people, stop and give it back, right? It's just, it's just stop what you're doing and start something else. Jesus comes along and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And 
And Cantalamesa said, Jesus is inviting us to take a step forward. He's taking, he's calling us to take one step further and embrace our identity as the children of God and as the people who are on mission for God. He's asking us to take a step forward, not just to stop doing something, but to move into our calling, to move into the life that God has prepared for us ahead of time. So it's this beautiful invitation to wake up and move forward, to embrace what God is doing in and among us. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. So how did Jesus begin his work? How, how was, what was his master strategy for making this happen? And the kingdom of heaven's at hand. We're going we're gonna to announce that the light is shining in the darkness and it's all going to be better. How's he going to do it? What's his master plan? What's the strategy? Well, that comes in the next part of the story. There were two tribes that had to go into exile first, Zebulun and Naphtali. While walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, Zebulun and Naphtali, Jesus saw two brothers. So there were, there were two tribes that are mentioned in the story. And Matthew's telling, he says, two tribes, and then Jesus is walking along, two brothers. Okay, two brothers. Then he goes along and he continues to walking, and from there he saw two other brothers, James and John. The way that Jesus was bringing light and rescue into the world was through the message of calling, was calling out to his children once again. We know that there were multitudes of disciples that Jesus called. There weren't just these disciples. We know there were women. There were younger people. There were all kinds of people who were Jesus' followers. We see that as the story unfolds and the gospel writers tell us about it. And we read about it in the early church. There were multiple disciples. But when Matthew's telling the story, how many disciples do we remember that there are? Twelve. How many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. So Jesus is putting, he's kind of getting the band back together, right? He's like, there are 12 tribes and they're scattered and they're lost and these two were gone first and I'm going to come back and I'm going to rebuild the team. 12 new tribes. There's going to be a new Israel. There's going to be this thing called the church and I'm going to start out. There were two tribes that were gone first. They're left out in the darkness. Oh, there's two brothers and there's two other brothers. It's beautiful storytelling reminding us that Jesus is putting a plan together for the rescue and the hope of the world. Now Christ calls us today. Just as he called Simon and Andrew, James and John. Uh, I love this quote from John Henry Newman, which is an old quote. I'll share it with you today. He says, For in truth we are called not once, but many times. All throughout our life Christ is calling us. He calls us first in our baptism, but afterwards also, whether we obey his voice or not, he graciously calls us still. Is this not true? Don't we know this? That God never ceases to call us. We don't just receive one calling in our life, but we receive multiple callings. Christ is walking by the places that we live always, calling out to us, calling us by name, 
finding us where we work, finding us while we're mending our nets, finding us where we're sitting there with our father in the family business, finding us when we're teaching school, finding us when we're going about our plans. And he calls us and he calls us and he calls us and we ignore and we run away and we answer and we respond and we begin to follow and then we leave off and we get busy and we forget about it. And God's not punitive. He continues to call. Jesus continues to call out to us. There is a persistent call of Jesus Christ that rings in our ears for the duration of our life. And it's never too late to answer that call. And sometimes we answer a call and we wait a while and a new one comes along. And we're faced with answering that one. Something about the moment in time. These guys knew this was a moment for them to leave what they were doing and stop and go and do something new. They, they could have never prepared for what they were about to do. They were not the typical people that you would see follow a rabbi like Jesus. They were ordinary guys, gals. They were fishermen. They were raising their families. All of us have unique callings, and it's never too late to pick up where we left off. See, in calling us, I think what Christ did is he took his freedom, his perfect freedom. I mean, no one had, no one knew that don't fence me in life more than Jesus. So he lived in this perfect harmony with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just perfect unity. Something you would never want to leave. A fellowship that you would never want to leave. And for love for us and for our sake and for the sake of a lost world, Jesus left heaven. He left where he was comfortable. And he came to live among us. Jesus was fenced in by choice. He chose the fences and the barriers and the boundaries of human life. He chose the fences of being able to get sick like us and our kids. He chose the boundaries of Knowing what it feels like to smash your finger with a hammer when you miss a nail or nick yourself. or He knows what it was like to be irritated with a brother-in-law. He knows all of the boundaries of human life Jesus accepted, willingly fenced in out of love for us. He took his freedom and was fenced in that we might become truly free, not to have an illusion of freedom where I call all the shots and I find my own way, but a real freedom that comes with God setting us free from all the burdens and the pain of life that we carry. And as I reflected on this idea of Jesus being fenced in on our behalf, and I think of barbed wire when I think of being fenced in. And Jesus, it wasn't barbed wire for him, but it was a crown of thorns. He was fenced in out of love for us. He gave everything for us. And so we come today, we come this morning, aware of this gift, and we can hear the voice of Jesus calling. We come today to renew our covenant with the God that never stops calling us. So let us joyfully repent together now, renewing our end of the deal. Covenant renewal. Amen.